Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Coming from you coming to you from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment, and we're broadcasting right across the world. Now, if you're a, um, a cryptocurrency fan, you'll notice that in the last couple of days, Bitcoin broke $2,000, Ethereum broke $200, and other cryptocurrencies are also exploding. Bitcoin's up nearly 65% in the last month and smashing the symbolic $2,000 mark for the first time ever this week. And Ethereum has gone from $8 to $200 in three months. That's incredible. When you look at the share market in general, it goes up a few percent. Um, it, it's really remarkable. So what's, it, what's behind this latest bull run? Well, Time magazine suggests there are three factors that are contributing to Bitcoin's boom. Firstly, the worldwide demand for digital currency. Investors are clamoring for cryptocurrency of all sorts. And while digital money was once seen as the province of cranks and computer geeks, it's now so mainstream that investors see it as a new asset class and are creating $100 million funds to acquire it. And all of the big guys are now playing with both cryptocurrency and um, Bitcoin in particular. Other people see digital currencies as an asset like gold, which can hold its value amid times of government instability. Recent political upheaval in Brazil and the United States, which led to drops in the dollar and the real, likely contributed to the recent uptick in Bitcoin buying, but it's, it's pretty hard to explain an explosion from $1,000 to $2,000 in a matter of weeks. And Bitcoin might be benefiting indirectly from a recent explosion in the value of other digital currencies like Lumens, Ethereum, Litecoin, and I saw a couple of others today um, that caught my attention, Golden, or Gildan probably, and Factorum. They're both digital currencies that are starting to move and could well be a very good investment, either of them. Now, while it's possible to buy these currencies with dollars or other traditional currencies, it's often simpler to use bitcoins. And that's the easiest digital currency to acquire and, and buy them with bitcoin. In other words, more people might be buying bitcoin as a vehicle to invest in the more exotic currencies like, for example, Ethereum. The second reason for the boom is Japan and China. At the start of April, regulators in Japan introduced new rules that treated Bitcoin more as a part of the banking system. That change led to a burst of trading activity in the country as investors rushed in to swap yen for Bitcoin. The effect on the Bitcoin price, of course, has been predictable. And in China, a lot of people were worried about Bitcoin because they were concerned about how China would react to Bitcoin. But the country's growing a lot more tolerant. Analysts are pointing to a big drop in the difference in Bitcoin prices between US 
and Chinese exchanges, and this suggests that Bitcoin-related investments in China are now seen as okay and less risky. The, um, the discount that the Chinese Bitcoin exchanges trade to the US dollar exchanges has dropped from 20% to 5% in just a week. In other words, a whole lot of Asian investment is causing Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to soar. All I can say is I hope those Chinese just keep pouring in their money. That would be good. And the third reason, I think, is is got a lot to do just with hype. Bitcoin's been prone to spectacular crashes and then massive rises again. Um, the crashes followed flurries of media about the value of Bitcoin, which created the hype, and then um, mainstream investors came in and inflated the price. So we in a situation of deja vu. Social media is buzzing about the incredible surge in the value of cryptocurrency assets, and this year's edition of Consensus, a three-day trade show in New York, promises to be the splashiest yet, with companies like IBM and Microsoft appearing alongside a long list of venture capital firms all interested in blockchain. Digital currency and blockchain technology, and, you know, blockchain is an online ledger system that relies on multiple computers. It's really gone mainstream. Banks, um, stock trades, insurance, real estate, diamonds, I believe, are now on blockchain, um, are all relying on blockchain now, which means that the cryptocurrencies are pretty close behind. As with past hype cycles, there are far more people cheering for Bitcoin than against it. And uh, skeptics at the moment are in short supply. Most people are not... Um, they're not sceptical about it. They're enthusiastically embracing it. Now, as of this afternoon, this will blow you away. This number will absolutely blow you away. As of this afternoon, the value of a Bitcoin was over $2,200 and Ethereum was $184. But listen to this. If you spent $1,000 on Bitcoin seven years ago, you would now be worth $900 million. So if you spend a lousy $1,000, I mean, I was told about Bitcoin when it was about 70 cents. Did I buy it? No. Do I regret it? Yes. Lamborghini's getting further away. Now, if you can't work out what the Bitcoin fuss is about, Eric Schmidt is the CEO of Google, as you know, says Bitcoin is a remarkable cryptographic achievement and the ability to create something that is not duplicatable in the digital world and therefore has absolutely enormous value. So if you haven't invested in any sort of cryptocurrency yet, look it up. There's about half a dozen really good choices. And if you don't want to spend 2000 bucks a share, um, then you could have a look at Factum, which is about 78 cents or something like that. So might be worth taking a bit of a punt while it's cheap. Hey, 
stop what you're doing and listen up. Are you leaving money on the table? Are you not getting every penny out of every sale that you can? A sale's coming too easy and you say, gee, maybe my prices aren't right. You know, if you want to improve your profit, increase your profit, you've either got to sell more stuff, make it cheaper, or maximize every dollar you can get out of a purchase. Now, there's a company called Atenga, A-T-E-N-G-A.com, that specializes in setting your prices exactly right. They set them at a point where people buy your product, but you don't leave anything on the table. Now, if you go to atenga.com, that is A-T-E-N-G-A.com, and download a free ebook called Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increase Prices, it's a really quick read, and it might be the most profitable thing you do all day. Now, my friend Per Sofas has changed the fortunes of hundreds of companies, big companies, and he says that it's probably going to cost you four or six weeks profit to use a tenga. And once your prices are set, the next 48 weeks, you are killing it. So it's a great way to increase your profitability. So go to atenga.com. Do it now. Well, wait till the show's finished. Then do it. Do you, do you get my daily 30-second business newsletter? It takes only 30 seconds to read. Well, sometimes it takes a minute. Sometimes it takes two. But either way, it's brilliant. <laughs> and we now got about a million seven daily subscribers. And I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for my newsletter. It's, um, it is a quick read, and it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that is important. Every day we tackle a different subject. Some days it's advances in medicine, new apps, new technologies, subjects like Hyperloop. Um, we've discussed autonomous cars. We've discussed blockchain um, developments at Amazon and Google and Apple and everything that's happening out there in the world. And they're all subjects that you should know about if you're going to survive in this new global revolution. The newsletter is free, 100% free. How much do you get for free that can help you? And the information's invaluable. So next time you go out to dinner with the boss, it doesn't matter what subject he talks about, you'll know all about it. And the boss will leave dinner going, hey, this guy's really smart. He knows a hell of a lot about a lot of stuff. I might make him our next general manager. So if you want to be the next general manager of your company, get my daily newsletter. So just go to bobpritchard.com and um, just get yourself down on the list and you'll have it within, I think, 24 hours, you'll get a new newsletter. Have you ever wondered what's next? All these developments are happening everywhere. Do you ever sit there and think, God, the world's moving too fast. Let me out of here. I don't know what, you know, I can't keep up. Even the smartest people have trouble keeping up today. And um, I want to tell you about a couple of developments. Firstly, scientists have made see-through wood. See-through wood. And it's cooler than glass. Now, wood's strong and versatile, but it rots, get eaten, gets eaten by termites. It blocks light. 
So from that perspective, it's not great. And sheets of glass aren't great because they break easy and a lot of energy transfers into or out of a building through windows. Now engineers have developed a patented process to turn wood translucent, make it more durable and give it incredible strength. How strong is it? Well, the engineers say that it's a high-impact energy absorption that eliminates the safety issues that are presented by glass. It provides uniform, consistent indoor lighting, which is independent of where the sun is. And because this glass is made of wood, it's also a better insulator against heat. Transparent wood is a much lower thermal conductivity compared with glass, making it a better thermally insulated building material with a lower carbon footprint. Now, the researchers hope their creation will reinvent wood as the next big thing in renewable building materials, but the manufacturing process is not yet very environmental, environmentally friendly, but they're working on it. So transparent wood. What's next? Well, how about the way to photograph people in 3D through walls using Wi-Fi. That sounds pretty trick. Now, because Wi-Fi can pass through walls, we can now produce 3D photographs of objects inside a room from outside it. So new technology can make out any object that's more than four centimetres in size, and that's about an inch and a half. So anything more than an inch and a half can photograph from outside the room. This technique used Wi-Fi to make a 3D hologram of an entire room and everything inside it. So it, it just scans the whole plane of the room, uses two antennas, one fixed in place and another that moves, and the fixed antenna records a Wi-Fi field's background or reference for the spot it's placed in. The other in antenna is moved by hand to record the same Wi-Fi field from many different points. The antennas don't need to be big. They can, in fact, be very small, like the ones in a smartphone. Now, the, the signals from both antennas are simultaneously fed into a computer, and software separates out the differences of intensity and phase more or less in real time. Now, the software builds many 2D images as one antenna is waved around and then stacks them together in a 3D hologram. And because Wi-Fi travels through most walls, those, these holograms are of objects inside a closed room. Woo! Now, the applications are pretty expansive. You can imagine if you can take photographs inside a closed room, that's pretty cool. So adding an array of reference antennas, say, inside a truck, could help rescue workers detect people in rubble left by an earthquake, for example. Or they could help spy agencies see whether anybody's at home or in a building. You could use a drone to map out the inside of an entire building in about 20 seconds. So just imagine how handy that would be for law enforcement and for homeland security. I got a great guest today. Fantastic. Dr. Alan Frankel. Now, Alan was selected by his peers as one of LA Magazine's top internists. He was clinical professor at the University of California, Los Angeles School of Medicine for 18 years. He was an absolute expert in traditional medicine. 
and he's now one of the world's leading authorities on dosed cannabis medicine. With over 35 years' experience in internal medicine, Alan applies his knowledge to all aspects of the cannabis plant and its therapeutic value to the treatment of multiple serious medical conditions. You know, I went to Alan. I didn't know what to expect, but I was, I've got a couple of things wrong with me. <laughs> Some obvious, not so, not so obvious. Um, I, uh, I've got diabetes and my blood pressure has been a bit high. So I've been taking all these drugs, you know, the ones you see on television saying, if you take this, you will die. You know those ads? Well, I take several of those. And uh, my wife dragged me along by the ears and decided that um, cannabis might be an answer. So we consulted with Alan Frankel, Dr. Frankel, and I've been taking cannabis oil for about a month and a half. I've given up one of the most dangerous drugs and my blood sugar's under control and I'm feeling great. So if you've got any doubts about what cannabis can do for you or the cannabis oil, have a listen to this interview. I think it'll change a lot of people's minds about, you know, a lot of people have got a just a built-in inherent concern about cannabis, but I hope this will change your mind. So I'll speak with Alan after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the past five and a half, nearly six years, we've given you insights into the lives of somewhere around 320 of the world's most interesting business people. We talk about what they do, and uh, the challenges that they faced, what makes them special. And we also try to find out what it is that makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to have a successful business these days and to do something unusual. So people who have gone before us and have made a success of it, 
Well, we need to listen to them because otherwise we'll end up making the same mistakes that they did and uh, that makes your road to success just that little bit harder. So the aim of this segment is to assist you to overcome challenges, to seize initiatives and to become highly successful. So if you're sitting at home listening to this, then pay attention because a hell of a lot of really good information comes out of this segment. My guest today is Dr. Alan Frankel. He graduated second in his class from the UCLA School of Medicine and was elected to the Alpha Omega Alpha Medical Honors Society. And for three years, Dr. Frankel was selected by his peers of one of LA Magazine's top internists. He was a clinical professor at the University of California, Los Angeles School of Medicine for 18 years. The Chartscape medical software program used by the UCLA Bauer Cancer Centre and the eScript medical software utilised by Kaiser Permanente were both developed by Dr. Frankel. After a distinguished career in traditional medicine, now this is where it gets really interesting. Alan Frankel is one of the world's leading authorities on dosed cannabis medicine. Now with 35 years of experience in internal medicine, Dr. Frankel implies his knowledge of all aspects of the cannabis plant and its therapeutic value to the treatment of multiple serious medical conditions. Now, it's about here that I've got to say, uh, Alan is my doctor, and uh, I'm um, taking marijuana tablets, and so far, they are working extremely well, and it enabled me to get off a couple of regular drugs that I take that... um, if you listen to the television commercials, against them are pretty nasty and cause all sorts of problems. So so that's all good. Alan, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard right around the world. Well, thank you. It's great being on your show. How I can't wait you? to smile off my face. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm excited but for today. Then I start a busy day with patients right at 10 o'clock. All right. Okay. We'll get on with it. Um, it's it's really confusing to me. Um, it's not as confusing as it was, but the difference between medical marijuana, the marijuana that people sit around and smoke, and um, hemp. The, when you walk along Venice Boulevard, there's 20 shops selling marijuana if you've got anything more than a cold. And you see all these groups of people sitting around the outside these shops smoking joints. <laughs> they should be the healthiest people on the planet, but they don't look like it. So what's the di- – can you just quickly explain the difference between the three things or more if, it, if there's more? Well, uh, first let's differentiate between hemp-based CBD and cannabis-based CBD. Right. Um, although these plants are in the same genus of plants, they're very, very, very different plants. And theoretically, some still think they're in the same species, but I found it very hard to breed these plants. And at the end of the day, the fiber plant, the hemp plant, was meant for fiber use and making paper, um, you know, a million goods, fuel, f- food, and it does have about one and a half percent CBD, but it's also missing the 
uh, decent cannabis plants have about 15%. But the big difference is the entourage effect. Cannabis has hundreds of other cannabinoids, minor cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, plant waxes, and a bunch more. Um, and hemp doesn't. So um, you just can't make the same medicine um, out of hemp as you can out of cannabis. And we've done many, many, many small trials with 20 patients at a time where we blind them. They don't know whether they're getting hemp-based CBD or cannabis-based CBD at the same concentration. And there's nobody who feels it's the same. It's, um, we need to grow more hemp to be used for the right purposes, and we need to grow more cannabis for the right purposes. Right. Now, I've got the impression that most medical doctors are not enthusiastic about prescribing marijuana. Um, that might be wrong, but it seems to be it's my impression. So is that because doctors really don't believe it or is it because the um, big drug companies are so far into their pocket that they're brainwashed? Well, I think it's some of both. Um, there is a lot of doctors. I mean, there's a decent number of doctors who are comfortable writing the recommendation to the license for the medical cannabis, but they won't go into any details about dosing because 21 years ago, in a Conant decision, and I believe the Ninth Federal Circuit, um, it became illegal for doctors to give dosing information. Right. Um, so that scared a lot of doctors. To me, it seems so silly. I found out about that in 2006, and I just couldn't then, and I can't now, believe that they're going to come and arrest a doctor for giving dosing information and call it aiding and abetting. Um, but doctors also have just a fear of having anything to do with it, even giving somebody the recommendation. Um, I mean, I got into a number of issues with the medical board. I mean, the medical board, I feel like, is, is changing, and the mainstream doctor view is changing, but there's still a number of doctors out there that um, are terrified of it, and they right. don't believe it has any medical value. I, mean, I don't think they've read an article on it, but um, it, it's, come, it's changing. And at least in the community that I work in, in Southern California, the overwhelming majority of my patients come from physicians. Um, now, sometimes it's not the physician's idea, it's a patient's idea, and they ask the doctor, and they say, yeah, go see Alan. Um, but I'm definitely my main work is in the, in the main medical community. That's where I want to stay. Do um, When you say doctors are not allowed to prescribe doses, is that just for marijuana or because they prescribe doses of everything every day, don't they? Yeah, well, it makes no sense. I mean, but when you think about 21 years ago when this law was written about dosing, what was there to eat? I mean, there was weed and there were some undosed edibles and there was no way, in my opinion, to have medical cannabis under those circumstances. Right. I, know, I know some will disagree with this, but to me, medical cannabis is when you as a patient, me as a doctor, and the dispensing um, store all know how many milligrams of cannabinoids you're taking. That's what's necessary to do it medically because otherwise, it's not that, I'm not saying people can't get better and feel better by smoking or taking edibles, but as far as using a doctor to be involved with it, what's the point? If you don't know what you're taking, what can the doctor really say? Sure. So after having a distinguished career as a medical professional and, and very successful one, how did you get started in the 
cannabis industry, you wake up at two o'clock one morning and go, aha, I've seen the light. I'm going to become a marijuana specialist. How did it come about? Well, I woke up about two in the morning and I couldn't breathe. And this is 1999. And I went, I was just getting over, I thought, of bronchitis. And I went to my friend who was a pulmonary doc and he said, you're in heart failure. So he walked me over to the heart doctor and I had a viral congestive heart failure, cardiomyopathy, and ended up with a bunch of heart biopsies. I was given a fairly short time to live, but I just didn't want to consider a, a transplant. And um, I was very depressed. I mean, 49, my kids were grown, but still, that's too early. But, but I just didn't want to do a transplant. And then some friends of mine came over and did a reverse um, intervention. I had, believe it or not, never used cannabis until I was 49 and I got sick. Um, and three months later, my echocardiogram and everything was completely normal. Now, I'm not saying that the cannabis fixed my heart. I don't know what role it played. But I do know that it made me feel a whole lot better. And it turned on my brain again. And I started reading literally thousands of articles in the National Library of Medicine. And I became sold. And I, when I first started my practice 11 years ago, I thought it was going to be much more sophisticated with some dose medicines back then. But I mean, we really didn't know anything. Well, I'm, I'm really glad you made it because if you hadn't made it, I'd still be on those crappy drugs. <laughs> well, this is all, <laughs> all about you, Bob. <laughs> why, why do you recommend whole plant cannabis medicines versus hemp or laboratory-made medicines, is that simply because of the – well, I think you explained it before that it's a totally different ball game. but um, how do you determine what to recommend? Well, as far as how to make the medicine out of the plant, um, I use nature's recipe and just keep all the molecules that are in the plant oil to begin with. I mean, I think it's fairly pompous for me to think that I know better than the last – tens of thousands and years on exactly which molecules are important. And every year that goes by, we learn more about the hundreds of terpenes and flavonoids. I mean, yes, it makes it more tasty and more aromatic, but these all have tremendous medical value. And to me, the better we get at extracts, and the, the more the extracts smell like cannabis, the better we've done. Um, and ideally, if we do an extraction on a particular strain, let's say an OG Kush, which has a, a scent that a lot of people recognize, the extract should smell like OG Kush. Um, and not because it, oh, that's cool, but because it should have the same medical values. When I um, came in for my consultation, you, you um, created or had a special um, combination of, of cannabis for me. How, how do you decide what dosage should be for what type of um, ailment? How do, you, how do you make that decision? Well, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a guess. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's like everything else in medicine – of course, part of it is at the end of the day, I think this. But I've been doing dosing for eight years. Um, and for a number of years, I would have people bring in their extracts. And 
I would watch them dose because it's not legal for me to dose them. And I would mark down the dosage and the response and the, the caretaker would take the person home. And we followed up and we did hundreds and hundreds of patients like that. And then finally, about eight years ago, seven and a half years ago, we had enough CBD strains um, and with enough ratios, enough different terpene profiles that we started having a whole formulary. And as I continued to practice, if I felt we needed, or if I thought we needed a different extract with a different group of molecules, maybe extracted in a different way, I've been really lucky to be able to work with some collectives that I can say, make this and tell your, your chemist to call me. I speak to the chemist. They make it. I take a look at it. And then we see what it's useful for. I mean, there are a number of times we've made extracts um, long before THCA became a popular deal. We were making the extracts and trying them on people. Um, so that's how we learn. So do you have uh, – is it sort of a collective of people who specialize in the mar- medical marijuana that all compare notes? And is it like the medical profession where all this research goes in everywhere and everybody compares – nuts? I would have to say there's a little bit of that starting, but very little. There's a lot of there, the, the medical or the cannabis business is a complicated business and people uh, money becomes a very big deal very quickly, so people don't want to share information. Doctors are, are very much avoid dosing. I mean, right. I do feel at times lonely. I would love to have that type of camaraderie with other doctors, and I have a little bit of it, but it's just starting. And doctors are going to have to believe somehow, and I'm not sure how our government's going to reassure anybody about cannabis right now, but just reassure that, yeah, you can dose. And I mean, when I think about being arrested and then the jury saying, wait, this doctor didn't give any dosing information, that's why he's being, you know, punished. No, no, we gave lots of dosing information and can't do that. Right. Um, What I liked about coming to see you is that um, you spent an hour, uh, I mean a full hour, listening to what my symptoms were, et cetera, et cetera, before you made any suggestions whatsoever. And usually if you go to a doctor, you know, you get 10 minutes and they throw a bunch of pills at you, give you a couple of samples and go away and come back in three months. You've got a totally different type of um, uh, practice. So how do you how do you not succumb to the greed that most doctors seem to succumb to? I, you know, I, I don't know why money has never been, that's why I don't have very much. Um, it's never been number one, two, or three. I mean, when I had my children were young, obviously I need, needed to make more money. Yeah. Um, but it was never my number one. I mean, my number one was, well, other than being a dad and now being a, my sixth grandchild is on the way, by the way. Oh, good. Congratulations. So, <laughs> awesome. But I've always loved practicing medicine. And I think uh, if you end up as a doctor and you are truly very, very empathetic, and I'm not saying that's a blessing. That's a blessing and a curse. And you're kind of forced to either be miserable and have your patients be miserable, which mostly they are, or you have a good time with it. And Voltaire in 1732 stated, the art of medicine consists in amusing your patient while nature cures them. 
I believe that. And I, you know, I think as doctors, we help manage people. But I mean, did I cure you with this? No, but if you're feeling better and you're on less medications, I would consider that a success. Right. When I walk along the promenade at Venice Beach, apart from being amused, there's a couple of dozen marijuana dispensaries with big signs saying, if you've got any one of these 500 things wrong with you, everything from a cough to an ingrown toenail, come in here, we'll give you a marijuana card and you'll be cured instantly. Is that is that really all hype and marketing bullshit or is it really a wonder drug? Well, I sometimes get embarrassed when talking to patients or giving talks and go down the list of all the things this does. And it seems, it does seem too good to be true, except if you look upon it as critical nutrition. Right. And I think these molecules are critical nutrition for us. And, just like scurvy coming across or pellagra or beriberi, all these other nutritional deficiencies in populations over history, there are tons of very, very sick populations throughout history just because either a piece of an orange or some other or thiamine or B6, I mean, the, then CBD and all these other cannabinoids might be essential nutrition. I think they are. So, are you saying that most things that are wrong, that go wrong with people, um, I, I get internally not a broken leg or something, but most things that go wrong with people are all linked back some way to nutrition? Well, broken leg is actually linked to nutrition, not just through vitamin D and calcium, but also CBD. Um, increases the speed of a healed fracture by 30%. Um, so even with a broken leg, the nutrition is important. I mean, do I think there's cures for everything in nature? You know, I'd have to say I don't know. But I suspect there's a lot, lot more than we we're ever taught. And we know things are being destroyed in the Amazon, and I don't think things would be destroyed if, if it was all useless. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... I have become a plant medicine doctor. It doesn't mean I never write a prescription or never prescribe a pill, but it doesn't happen that often. Right. So why is it that um, the medical profession it, in in the main and the government are so seem to be so anti-medicinal um, cannabis? Well, I would take those two groups separately. The government feels the way it does because they want it for themselves. I mean, the, the number of cannabis drugs that are coming out and new drugs that will be released, the U.S. federal government has well over 500 patents on cannabis. And sometimes when I want to find a way to do something, I just type into Google, U.S. federal patent cannabis on blah, blah, blah. Right. And you take that blah, blah, blah and search for it, find out what, if you can get it retail and all of a sudden you've got a part of a future patent without violating a patent right um so the, the money is 90 percent of the reason the government is against this because they want it for themselves period and that's why they're actually much more supportive of recreational cannabis than medical i mean look what happens in washington oregon colorado um as soon as recreational is there medical dies and the reason is 
it's in large part, I think, doctor's fault. If you don't have a doctor that's pushing the maintenance of medical cannabis, it just goes back to recreational where it was before all of this started, except it's legal. Um, now, doctors are mostly just fearful of losing their license. Um, there's fear about, I mean, when I first started 11 years ago, the stuff I got, I heard from doctors that liked me. I'm not, I'm not talking about the ones that might not like me, but that liked me and respected me, that you, what are you doing wasting your life? Right. You're wasting your life, and you're going to get in trouble. You know. So you have to decide, if you want to push the envelope, um, I think it, you have to be somebody that can be scared. I mean, there was plenty of times, I mean, I was scared or didn't sleep, or still, if I hear a siren, I think it's something else. So, I mean, there was a lot of, I had well over 20 undercover cops, so it's fear, but you have to be willing to live with that fear. Um, I think I was lucky that my kids were grown. I was a little bit older. Um, I don't even have a girlfriend, so there's nobody to tell me what not to do. So, I mean, there's several doctors that I've hired, I haven't hired, I've interviewed, that I need. By the way, if there's a good primary care doctor out there, I'm looking for another doc. Okay. But they're interested in it, but then their spouse says, we crazy you have two young kids and i get that i mean so I, I think the doctors have the fear and the government has the greed is this um is this going to change well let's, let's go back to the comment about where they've legalized recreational marijuana that um medical marijuana uses it as declined it is that because people think that because they can smoke pot that's going to um, solve their problems without getting more accurate prescription? Whatever. People, don't know. People just don't know. I mean, um, nationally, or even in Los Angeles County, 15% of people use cannabis on some regular basis. That means 85% don't. So, and the majority of people have tried cannabis at least once in their life, but it was a bad experience. It was high THC. People, most people don't want to smoke. They don't want to get stoned. And people, if once people truly understand that they could take a capsule that's dosed, or you could take, you have taken a capsule. Yeah. And I know, I, I can't remember exactly what I gave you, but I, we couldn't rely, you know, be public on it. But I know exactly what you're taking um, and when you're taking it. And if you're not better, there's a good chance. I'd be able to talk to you and make a suggestion to make it better right. because I've just done this enough. Doctors are just too scared and they, they, the vast, what has the vast majority of cannabis doctors been doing? They've just been writing recommendations for $40 and that's been that. There certainly are some very qualified um, cannabis doctors in the state, um, but very little dosing. And it's a very small number of cannabis doctors. And it also has to be a cannabis doctor who's willing to, you know, bump up on stuff. Well, if, um, you know, we see specials on CNN and whatever about how cannabis has worked for all sorts of conditions and, um, you know, stopping seizures and all those sorts of things. So there must be a fairly strong movement even if it's sort of an underground movement, to get governments and other doctors to change their attitude. Is that so or not? Um, more so in other countries than the U.S. 
believe it or not. I mean, Europe, we all think right now they're way ahead of us with cannabis. And even in Israel, where they do a lot of research, their clinical cannabis is a very small program at this point. Ultimately, it's going to be a very big program. And what some countries are doing, which makes all the sense in the world, is to put the medical cannabis that's in a container with capsules or dose sprays in their pharmacies because they have socialized medicine anyway. Yes. And then have ca- coffee, you know, cafe, coffee shops for, for smoking. And I, I think that's the way the world should divide this up and just see it as very different. Mm. Where's the United States going with regard to medical um, marijuana in the next, where do you see it going in the next five to 10 years? Well, I see more states. I mean, we're well over, what, 35, 38 states have some form. Um, I, I think that's going to get closer and closer to 50. And I don't know how the feds are going to change the scheduling because they have to have something very different than what the, let's call it the organic cannabis market that I'm a part of. So, and, and they don't want their cannabis medicines that are from GW Pharma. I mean, a great, good company. It's a very good company. Um, but they don't want their medicine to smell like cannabis. Yeah. They don't want to have even a drop of THC in it. So they're stripping out everything else, and you've got CBD or you have THC. And those, to me, it looks like are going to be Schedule 3, and they'll leave the whole plant as Schedule 1. So they have control of it. Is um, so it is even if it's not as powerful. Is is just smoking a joint at, in some way um, medically healthy for or medically good for you? Well, I think a lot of people um, get a lot of benefits from smoking, but the people get benefits from smoking either they're smoking and they just enjoy the feeling, they enjoy the habit, the break, like having a drink. But this is sure. better for them. Um, and yeah, there are people who use it to help with falling asleep. But when you start getting with pain issues, um, certainly seizure issues, cancer issues, you know, diabetes, and it's on and on and on, um, multiple sclerosis, myasthenia gravis, I mean, there's a lot of things we treat. I don't know how to treat those smoking because there are certain dosages of different cannabinoids that we found to be useful. Um, then some people, I mean, if they're able to smoke and they like smoking and it works for them, I'm the last person to disagree. Yeah. I mean, if, well, what we, I if more people, first of all, just don't want to get stoned or smoke, so they need to know what they're taking. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Excuse me. Um, it's interesting that my capsules, I take um, oil in a capsule form, that there's no no marijuana odor whatsoever well there doesn't appear to me to my nose anyway it's um fairly neutral smell well if you open up the capsule and smell it it'll it'll have that herbal smell to it but yeah it's it's subtle but if you if you open up a capsule with hemp cbd um i mean it's a very different smell yeah because i i've just got off being overseas for um a few weeks, and went to a number of countries with sniffer dogs everywhere and uh, just had it in my luggage and nothing. No, you know, even the sniffer dogs didn't pick it up. I don't think there's so many drug dogs anymore. I think there's bomb dogs. I mean, well, they're bomb dogs. 
<laughs> Imagine with all the trouble TSA is in, they make a big announcement. They found a joint. You know, they found a joint. Do, does anybody really want that to happen? Do we really want to involve? I realize there's still some places in this country where that happens, but do we really want resources going to that joint? It's ridiculous. I agree. Um, so. Are all marijuana plants, you know, we, we hear about these acres of marijuana that are growing everywhere. Can all, can all of those plants be used to create oils that are of some benefit or is there only certain strains that, um, that are effective? I think um, we're just getting started and this, one of the secrets to the future is better extraction, more complete extraction and more variety in strains. I mean, we may not know at this point what a new strain might do, but it's going to be different. I mean, it's just no question it'll be have some different effects. Right. So, and it's not just the strain. It's you know, have you heated it or using it raw? Um, a lot, a lot of variables. When you're growing the plants, if you let them flower in the in under lights for an extra week or ten days, you get different terpene profiles. You'll have a different effect. So oh. just how long you um, spend flowering the plant will make a difference. So it needs a lot more research is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Can, can you get addicted to um, medical marijuana? Well, you know, when the plant comes out of the ground, it doesn't know whether it's going to be used medically or recreational. So sure. can you get addicted to cannabis? The federal government for a number of years has published a list of the rates of addiction Cannabis, um, coffee, alcohol. Cannabis comes in around five percent. Um, coffee comes in at twenty percent. So, you know, it's and I think a lot of this addiction. I mean, addiction to me is defined as not smoking once a day or once a week or several times a day, whatever. It's by what it's doing to your life. It's, it's making your life better. And people around you would say, well, we don't like the smell, but you know what? He's much better. Um, or if your life is in ruin, then, you, you know, then you've got a problem, like with any other drug. But the rate of addiction is very low, even according to our government. And withdrawal symptoms, I, I think, are virtually non-existent. And when they often claim that these people couldn't sleep as well and they were more agitated for a couple of weeks, that's why they were using this stuff to begin with. So it's not that surprising that um, if, if we give up our cannabis that we feel worse. I must admit I wake up in the morning and I can't do without my coffee, but I don't go reaching for your pills. <laughs> so I guess I'm more addicted to coffee. <laughs> um is there a role for medical cannabis in the fight against overdoses and deaths from opioids? Oh, I think that's got to be one of the main things we should be focusing on. I mean, first of all, try avoid a lot of the opiate. The, the, the one thing that's necessary to have an opiate addiction is an opiate prescription. So the less prescriptions of opiates that we can start with, the better. So for if it's post-op pain for two days, all right, narcotics, but... People need to be switched then to something else, and cannabis would be a fine thing to try. Right. Also, with withdrawal, when I see patients, whether they're cancer patients that are using a lot of narcotics and they have real pain, um, but they still get addicted and they still have withdrawal symptoms, and those are pretty much eliminated if you have a 
usually like a one-to-one CBD THC um, withdrawal symptoms from narcotics is much, much easier. So that's not adequate, but it's a start. Do um, Does medical marijuana take a while to um, assimilate into your system and therefore a while for it to have effect? Or is it, you know, most of these pills that the doctors force on you um, pretty much have an effect immediately? I'm not necessarily saying always good, but is, is medical marijuana something that works fairly quickly or does it take a period of time or how does so. Both. Both. I mean, there for anxiety, the, the effects of using whole plant CBD come on pretty quickly, often within minutes, literally minutes. Um, for schizophrenic that you're treating a little bit higher doses of CBD, those patients seem to take a couple of weeks. Right. And there are just patients with depression that get better very quickly and some that take three or four weeks. And I'm sure there's different mechanisms. Maybe we have to rely on serotonin enhancement for some of them. But, um, you know, in general, go, you know, start low and go slow, but not always so low. If somebody, you have to leave it up to the patient and their own, and assessing as a physician, the patient's fear of being stoned is a critical part of the visit. Right. Because if they have no fear of it and they're in a tremendous amount of pain, and they don't have to drive, then you're in a position, well, let's go for it. And, you know, to get this guy a little bit psychoactive, but his pain's gone and he's giggling, that's a better situation. Yeah. It might have the giggling side effect or little stony side effect, but I don't get a lot of complaints about that. It seems weird that, you know, doctors are prepared to describe um, pills that um, are addictive, and yet, and people will take those without any, without giving it a second thought. Yet they're worried about marijuana, medical marijuana being addictive. That seems to me to be pretty weird. Um, <coughs> so, for somebody out there who's using traditional medicine and and it's not working, or they're having negative side effects, how do they how do they go about talking to you, and how do they get to learn more, and how do we how do we build your business so that you can have the same effect on other people that you're having on me? Well, um, first checking out my website, greenbridgemed.com. Type in Alan Franklin, you'll find my website. I've got um, a number of years of blogs there. Right. Um, and calling my office for, if you're local, to come in for a visit or a phone educational consult. Oh, we do a lot sorry. of those. Or Skype. Okay, Terrific. Alan, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. That was that's really interesting because I think um, medical marijuana is something that I I didn't know much about. My wife put me onto it, um, and you know she who must be obeyed is usually right. And uh, I'm I'm really pleased that I met you, and I'm really pleased we came in for that consult. Now, if you're listening to this and you have some concerns about an illness that you've got or the medicines that you're taking. Go and talk to Alan, and you go to Greenbridge, G-R-E-E-N, Bridge, B-R-I-D-G-E, med, M-E-D, dot com. You'll be really pleased that you did. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. (laughs) 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Now, recently we've been discussing the staggering rate of retail store closures, over 6,000 in Q1 2017 and another 6,000 estimated in Q2 2017. Hundreds of malls have also closed, around about 500 malls have closed. So traditional malls need to really transform themselves to stay alive. So what are we going to do with them? What are we going to do with all these empty stores? And what are we going to, how are we going to keep these malls alive? Or what are we going to do with the properties? Next week, I'm going to discuss that in some length. Um, we'll discuss all of the activities that are now taking place in malls that um, are filling the gap. I invite you to... Um, Go to my website, bobpritchard.com, enrol for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read. I'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important, and everybody will be amazed at how smart you are and how much you know about a wide variety of, of subjects. You know, I have um, a lot of – receive a lot of emails saying that um, from business managers who circulate selected email, selected newsletters to all of their staff and uh, we get a constant flow of people that are enrolling for the newsletter. It's really going very well. Now, don't forget about atenga.com, A-T-E-N-G-A.com, Atenga. Go to Atenga and download a free ebook called Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increase Your Prices and Your Profits. It's a very easy read. might be the most profitable thing you do all day. Um, per Sofas, my friend who runs the company, has um, literally changed the fortunes of hundreds of major companies. So go to atenga.com. Do it after the show. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're just taking up too much space. Get out of the way. Let somebody who wants to succeed get past you. You know, it's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. There's nothing trick about doing the ordinary. Do you want to be ordinary? Do you want to lay in your deathbed and say, oh, I was ordinary? No, of course you don't. So go and push the envelope. Kick the hell out of this world. And next week, we'll be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment, and I hope you can enjoy, join me again. In the meanwhile, I hope you continue to be successful, because you know what? The alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.